Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is future classics. Now, what happens on this schedule is we go ahead and we pick a different theme every single week based on this schedule. And on this week, the future classics, one of us, and this week it was me, picks a film that has come out in the last 10 years that we believe is going to be a future classic, and we can make a strong argument for that happening. But before we get into that, I want to introduce my two wonderful co-hosts. As always, Nicole Davis, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, surprisingly, given the crazy weather that we've had this week where I am, where it's been like 85 degrees up in New England at the end of September uh, as we record this. And tomorrow it's supposed to be 65. So, you know, welcome to New England. Oh, I feel you. That's how it is in Chicago right now. The last day was the first day in almost a week that we didn't have 90 degree weather in late September. It's yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, David Luzader, how's your weather? Uh, the weather here is warm. I would like – actually, it's it's an auspicious day that we're discussing this film because something big happened yesterday. Do either of you know what happened yesterday in the comic book world that pertains to this movie? I don't know. Uh, no. <laughs> Wolverine, who has been dead for three years, is back. Uh, in the comics? In the comic books, yeah. Is his death in the comic book similar to, um... Spoiler alert! A character uh, died in the comic books, and they brought him back! I want to guide everyone... Right, I want to guide everyone to my favorite website of the last three years, (laughs) isWolverineStillDead.com, where it now says no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh... I do want to mention here at the top of the program, of course, that we are going to spoil the film of Logan. So if you've never before seen Logan, uh, then you're going to want to go ahead and watch it and join us. And before I get into explaining Logan and making my case for it and the discussion topics, uh, do we know what we're going to be watching next week? Yes. Uh, next week, our theme is Around the World, where we will take a look at foreign films. And we're going to be watching the 2006 film The Host. This can actually be found on Netflix, so it will be rather accessible for people to watch along. Right on, well, The Host. This is not the 2013 no, drama. No, not the Saoirse Ronan <laughs> okay. one based on the Stephanie Meyer movie. No, this is a, a South Korean film. Right on. All right, I'm looking forward know. to that. I'm looking for that's a that's a week on this new show I'm really looking forward to because I don't see enough foreign cinema so I'm hoping that you guys in particular can expose that can expose me to that uh but this week we're talking about Logan and if you'd like to follow along next week be sure to check out that other film and we're going to have that in the show notes my apologies for my little strained voice too a little sick this week uh but in the near future oh. a weary Logan cares for an ailing professor X somewhere on the Mexican border however Logan's attempts to hide from the world and his legacy are upended when a young mutant arrives pursued by dark forces now Ooh. This is a fascinating film to me, and I should preface that not only did I pick this film and would argue it's one of the best films I've seen in in years, 
I haven't seen any of the X-Men movies in in the last four or five years. Yeah. Uh, I went into this... Oh, okay, com- okay. The last the last X-Men movie I saw, honestly, I think was X-Men 3. I don't think I've oh. seen any of this Ooh, new I'm stuff sorry. that they've done in between this and then. No wonder you stopped That's... watching superhero films. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunate. That, that's kind of where I'm at with this, and and honestly, I have to say that my experience was not deterred at all. Uh, it was it, it was well, it was yeah, because worsened. Movie's great, and, and and but also like this movie has enough content that you can just broadly understand by getting the character of Logan, um, the character of Wolverine, which frankly you can kind of understand by seeing any of the films that. I didn't have to see, you know, like Wolverine Origins and Wolverine and the oh, guy that, that looks like Deadpool but with a mask off. And, like, I, I didn't have to see any of those films. Because hasn't yeah. there been, like, four of them? Like, I, we, like, like, we should also say that this was a critically lauded return to form for Hugh Jackman in the role because they have released a bunch of these lately. So they're... There was all of the uh, of the X Men films, and there was also the, as you mentioned, the X Men Origins Wolverine. There was also a film. Um, I can't remember exactly what year. I want to say like 2012. It was the Wolverine. Yes, uh, that, which uh, was a, James Mangold also directed. Yeah, which I actually do enjoy quite a bit until the third act, and I would yeah. argue that this film has a little bit of third act issues as well, but we can get into that as we discuss the film. Uh, but this is – or uh, was Hugh Jackman's oh, – I can't even remember what the number ended up being. I believe uh, it's his 10th. Uh, yeah, it's his, his 10th outing as the character – in oh, a, a number of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up with you know him as seventeen as, years as Wolverine. You know, he he's 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 Wolverine to me because I never really read the comic books, and when those original films were coming out, I was pretty young. So I I love he... him in the role, and I felt like from what I could see, it looked like a lot of people had issues with him phoning the role in in recent years. Is that fair to say? No, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay, because no. he because because as an onlooker that had not watched the films, it looked a little bit like he was catching a paycheck when I was seeing some of these trailers. No, no I I think it's I think that's more a function of how the character's been written mm, in a couple of point. these movies. Good point. Um, I think I think Hugh Jackman brings it at least. 80%, 100% of the time, and 100%, like, maybe 80% of the time. I don't okay. know. What do now, you think? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I mean, he definitely has a love for this character. Uh, and when they did, you know, even when they when they made bad movies, he still had this enthusiasm. When they did X-Men yeah. Origins, they did the uh, premiere, they did a contest that ended up being in Tempe, Arizona, which is part of the greater phoenix area and he was there he like went out to greet the people who had been waiting like all night and you know brought like he brought bagels and he was just like <laughs> had this enthusiasm it's like oh you know thank everybody thank you everybody for being here the real crazy part is that 
uh, Hugh Jackman was not the original person that the film uh, that the the, uh, the role was intended for. I believe someone else yep. was cast. Yep. Uh, but it was originally intended for Russell Crowe. No, no, that is no. not what I heard. <laughs> Russell Crowe was Singer's first choice to play Wolverine, but he turned it down. He recommended Hugh Jackman for the part. Uh, Hugh Jackman, mm-hmm. since he was unknown, uh, was not cast. And at first, Duggery Scott. They cut, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Didn't they cast Dougray Scott? And or then Dougray Scott, he yeah, Dougray got Scott. injured doing Mission Impossible mm-hmm. Two. Yeah, there was some scheduling. So we couldn't do it. Stuff. Yeah. And uh, and he did it. Jackman's wife at the time advised him not to do the film because she found it ridiculous. <laughs> he, to be fair, in those original films, he is wearing some really tight leather. Uh, he his look yeah. has improved over the years. I would say. Yeah. Now you know we're we're getting into this. This we're getting into the character of Hugh Jackman quite a bit here. The character of Hugh Jackman as portrayed by <laughs> Hugh Jackman. Uh, but before we get into this film, Brett, you're the one who's bringing it before the council today. Why Why do you believe this film, Logan, is a future classic? Okay, so case. when Logan came out, I remember there was this huge fanfare about it. It was, a, it was a Wolverine movie that could finally be as bloody as it was supposed to be. Uh, there was always this, this sense that they were holding back to keep those PG-13 ratings, and they... And as a result, the the essence of the character was struggling through that. And we could finally have this R-rated film that was gory and, and, and aggressive and, you know, those opening scenes where he's putting claws through people's foreheads and all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's great, and I love that the film can go there, and that doesn't even matter, though. Um, this film is less of a superhero film to me and more of a... Of a tragic noir on the human condition. I feel like that's the best way I could phrase it, is that this is a a brooding drama of an aging man who, uh, I mean, if you look at him in this role, he, he can barely read. He's driving Uber, basically. Um, this is a character that we've grown up loving and and having as a as a awesome superhero for so many years, and now he's just this angry old man that keeps falling asleep and uh, needs reading glasses and drives Uber and he's caring for another one of our iconic superheroes, Professor X. And Professor X is going through this, you know, I would argue it's as much as his swan song as it is Logan's because Professor X is going through this really uh, uncomfortable you know, uh, frailty where both his his mind and his body are just giving out in really uncomfortable, frustrating ways. And Logan doesn't know how to deal with that, because how do you deal with that? If you are a essentially a child, how do you deal with your parent falling apart in old age? And that's a very human thing. That's something that happens to everybody. And to me, this is like the like the dark night of 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 um comic book films. Uh, that was actually a comparison that uh, the Wall Street Journal made at the time when it came out, is that it is a it is a very, like, aggressive, visceral, human take on Logan as a character. And because it incorporates his, his fall from grace and the mutant's fall from grace, and because it approaches him in a world that has cast him aside, that does not like him, that uh, he is 
dejected from, that he is disenfranchised from and feels like hates him, it just makes it all the more poignant when this little girl comes around, this, you know, crazy little, like, Spanish-speaking, you know, hotshot, then she's just such a fascinating little character, and she kind of changes his world around. And it doesn't even matter that the father-daughter cliche is kind of cliche, because it works. So, basically what I'm getting at is Logan hits you in the feels. Logan makes you feel and makes you think about what it means to be human, which is funny, because he's a mutant, but it does. So I think it holds up incredibly well. I think it's going to be a superhero film that we look, even if you can even call it a superhero film, we're going to look back on it 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years from now and say that was one of the defining superhero movies of that long movement. Because we've had, ever since perhaps the first Iron Man, uh, we've had this Marvel and DC movement to films over the last 15 years or so that has really injected, uh, you know, superheroes into pop culture again. And I feel like Logan is the logical end of that first chapter, or maybe we're a couple chapters in, because it's just so much more than a superhero film. So long-winded, but that is my analysis for why I think Logan is a future classic. All right, all right. Yeah, there's a lot there. I think that we'll definitely, uh, definitely get into in our discussions quite a bit. I mean, you say Iron Man, but I mean, this is the end of a uh, of something for Hugh Jackman that started 17 years ago. That's true. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I just look at um, did the X Men? I I'm asked. I'm gonna have to ask you guys this. Did the X Men movies the the first three enjoy <laughs> the kind of success? that films oh. a couple years down the road, like Iron Man and stuff, would enjoy? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. we wouldn't have this Golden Age of Superhero movies we have right now if it was not for the 2002 Spider-Man film. Oh, uh, Spider-Man right. I forgot about and, Toby. You're right. I'm sorry. And, yeah. and, and the X-Men movies. Those really yeah. kind of paved the way of like, hey, we can do good superhero films that mm. aren't just really cheesy. I mean, they you know, they might be a little cheesy now, but at the time, they were different than what we had okay i gotcha uh that yeah i totally forgot about tobes okay um (laughs) uh and one other thing i do want to mention is that is that because the cast is so limited and really only focuses heavily on maybe four characters tops if you really want to include the bad guy in that uh, it allows it to be more of a character piece in a drama. So that's the last thing I'll say on that. Uh, and uh, one thing that's kind of interesting about this film is that later this, later, you know, earlier this year, way after the film had been released on DVD, they offered the noir version, which is quite similar to, uh, you know, the chrome version of Mad Max Fury Road, where they remastered the film, put it in black and white, and you can get that as an extra. Uh, if you buy a certain set, which I bought, and I actually went and saw this. The first time I saw this film was in theaters uh, for the noir version, because I never caught it when it was in theaters the first time. So my first time watching it was noir, and now my second time was in color. I believe that was inverse for Nicole, correct? Yes, I saw it in theater on um, you know, a pseudo IMAX screen. Um, in color, and then uh, at home this week, I watched the noir version to see what was different about it. And I mean, the the first thing I noticed, and I'm very thankful for, is it's not just the color film, just 
you know, where they just convert it straight yes. over to black and white. It's clearly been, um, I don't know if you can say color timed, but you know, it's it's clearly been worked so that the the tones are correct for the sort of movie that Mangold wants to make. You know, it's not it's not just a straight conversion as if you turned all the color down on a color TV to make it look black and white. Oh, totally. Um, this was color corrected specifically for a black and white release, just like the Mad Max one was. Right. And I would say the 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 overall effect um, I thought was really interesting because it does have a little bit of a different feel to it. You know, the first time I saw it in color, it's a very dramatic um you know sort of the end of a the end of a hero story film it's it's like watching an old prize fighter kind of thing trying to keep his life together um and but i mean it still has some of that it's still got a little bit of the shininess on it that you get from a superhero movie. He's still got the claws. He's still got the rage. He's not as able as he used to be. Um, and then they're introducing this new character with the claws and the rage and, um, you know, and the bad guys are after them and whatnot. And it's everybody's overpowered and has metal hands and things. Um, so it still feels like a, a superhero movie, a very different kind of superhero movie, but it still feels like a, a hero movie to me. And the black and white movie, you know, as it goes in its three acts, the first act to me really does feel like a film noir um, between the soundtrack and the way the, the black and white are working. Um, it's really got that 1930s, 1940s, uh, film noir kind of feel to it of you know somebody who's like the you know the the detective with secrets and who's dealing with these kind of low life people most of the time and um and it's got that darkness to it and then the middle part's like a 1970s road movie almost that's yes. that's what it feels like to me yeah you know where it's they're crossing the country but instead of being optimistic it's kind of pessimistic the whole way and the third act when they get to north dakota it's it turns into like this beautiful black and white western um which i think was i suspect was a, a conscious imitation of shane which is the movie that you see a little bit of on tv in the film um, and the movie Shane has a, a reputation for being exceptionally um, beautifully shot and gorgeous landscapes. And I think they're trying to echo that a little bit at the end. And also at the end, there's also a, I would argue, an injection of the superhero vibes more than you have throughout the rest of the film. Once it starts being... There's more than well, one of person with powers right now, and they're all kind of fighting in the woods. Well, and they so. also do inject super serum into things. Oh yeah, yeah super serum. But uh, you know what? I think it's it's kind of, I think it's kind of genius staging it in the woods because that mitigates that feel for me. You know, to me, superhero movies, I I tend to equate with either space or a big city. 
you know, big anonymous mm, city of right. metropolis. Or yes, destroying New York, right. Destroying New York, right. Um, whereas this is, it's out in the wilderness, it's away from civilization, it's sort of its own, its own world, but it's still nature all around them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that tones down the superhero vibe a bit. Mm, interesting. Know, just really unusual kids running for their lives from these, you know, evil people who are trying to imprison them again. And even though, even though the the uh, the good guys win at the end of the day, kind of, uh, there's a lot of really dark stuff in this film. Uh, well, oh, yeah. like what, what comes to mind immediately, I'd love to get David's thoughts on this, um, is like the scene when they, when they get taken in by this nice family and the family's oh, so nice yeah. to them and gives them a, a place to sleep and has dinner with them. And, uh, and he goes and helps this guy fix this generator and the whole family and- gets killed. Like yeah. it's awful. Yeah, after this this nice di- this wonderful dinner they've had where they're relaxing and everybody laughs for the only time in the movie. Our yeah, that family was doomed the second. That family was doomed the second that they crossed paths with them and you know, you get why why they do it, but it's like no, Logan was right. You should have kept driving. Should have should have let those people go on their way. Though, see, that's the gritty realism of the film that I kind of love. Is that well, is that it's awful that people die, but I don't I don't think I've seen other superhero movies be like, yeah, they kind of have to die. The kid has to die. Like that doesn't I happen that, that was, often. That was the only thing that I had a real problem with in the script is just that it seemed out of character that they would stop there. They've had enough life experience to know that they're putting that family in danger every second they're staying there. Mm, Interesting. Well, it was a, it was a teaching moment from Xavier's point of like, uh, I mean the whole, he he paints it out pretty clearly of you can like, this is what family looks like. You can still have a family despite all the tragedy you know, there's still space to feel comfort in this world. And then it just all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's also kind of an interesting scene with, you know, Xavier, though, because he's, he, he, is, he makes me so sad in this film on so many levels as someone who has so deeply loved his character and Patrick Stewart's interpretation of him over the years to watch yeah. him fall apart. And before Logan takes him on this trip and they're, you know, trying to get to, uh, you know, the opposite side of the country, Xavier's living a horrible life. Uh, he's stuck inside of a big silo and is, is having the deal, you know, have meds just to not overload society with his powers that he can no longer control. And kill, and kill everybody in like a Las Vegas casino. And this is a moment of the movie where he's happy and he's so happy and he feels like an old happy man and you just can't help but root for him. And it just goes so wrong. <laughs> so very they, wrong. They paint very clearly 
what happens in Westchester without ever directly telling you what happens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which yes. I thought was really, really well done. Because, you know, you're kind of throughout the movie, you're wondering where are the other X-Men? Where are all these other mutants? They're all dead because Xavier's mind overloaded and killed them all. And Logan survived because he's Logan. And they just like, they never directly say like, I killed Cyclops and Jean Grey and everyone and blah, blah, blah. Assuming this is rebooted timeline because we're not even going to get into that nonsense. (laughs) Uh, uh, But yeah, just like by, by the time that he's even kind of having that revelation, it still is like, we're going to talk about it, but they're like, they, it's just, it's really well-written dialogue of he never looks at the screen and is like, I killed them all. Right. I feel like in, in a lesser movie, they would have done that just very clearly been like, he's the one that killed everyone. It's like, yeah, no, nah, no, nah. yeah, but we, true. we got it. And then the emotions of it were there much more powerfully in the way that it was inferred. Right. Or that have been, you know, like quick cuts to a flashbacks. Right. You know, Oh, yeah. And I mean, we ended up seeing what essentially happens in in Vegas. Exactly. So we didn't have to see. By the way, it's not Vegas. It's I think it's Oklahoma City. Oh, is it Oklahoma City? But they that's what they said. Yeah, it was like the Harris, Oklahoma. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 such a it's such an interesting character arc for him in this film, because, you know, as 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 we announced at the beginning of the show, spoiler alert, we're already way down that path. Uh, This is he does die, you know, and he (laughs) And he dies a horrible death because he dies stabbed in the chest, stabbed in the chest by a guy that looks like Logan. So, yeah, in in Logan's mind, and you know, he's like the last thing Xavier saw was me killing him, uh, and well, that's but, so horrific. But he doesn't die in the bed. No, he doesn't. Right. And then, and then there's that whole thing where Logan's carrying him down. It's like it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And his last words are, you know, our son seeker. And then he dies. Right. But the, I'm going to use this kind of as a, a pivot point to talk about the disappointment that is X24 for me. Oh. Uh, which X24 is the clone of Logan that is kind of the the physical bad guy. Uh, there are so many villains of Logan's, specifically Logan villains, not even X-Men villains, uh, that they could have used a little more effectively than, like, the only thing that can stop him is himself. Uh, they could have been, like, here is a genetically modified Sabretooth. That would have been a lot more interesting because Sabretooth is so very much tied to that mythos. I'm just saying they it, it, it was an okay choice. It just was, for me, a lazy choice. I don't know. I think it was the the thematically consistent choice. You know, his... one of them was wearing white. One of them was wearing black. <laughs> well, it's just, his is is the the thing that's been keeping him from happiness and leading a normal life has a lot of the time been himself. You know, he's been the one keeping other people at bay for most of his life it's he's his he's been one of his own biggest enemies and i mean yeah it's it's cheesy to represent that out and out visually but it in a weird way it also helps kind of keep the number of characters down in the movie you know where x24 x23 you know laura is kind of a mini version of him or him you know very young before everything 
Well, not even before everything starts going horribly wrong. But <laughs> before yeah. everything starts going horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's, it's, it's all parts of him. Yeah, well, yeah, and I guess... I guess what I would want from a Sabretooth perspective, because Sabretooth is so very tied into uh, into Wolverine's history, and even within the X-Men Origins film, unfortunately, they make them half-brothers. Yeah. Which I, I thought you still could have used that, uh, you know, his past coming back to haunt him in another way. Uh, if Maybe if they had built up more of their relationship in the X-Men universe, it would have had some of, of effectiveness. I I get why they did it. I just think that it was it was a fine choice. <laughs> it was something they could have done more with. And this is like this is like a, a you know not to say that this dampens the film for me at all. I've watched it a couple times now. I enjoy it tremendously. Honestly, uh, aside from the fact that he that he kills Professor X. I always tend to forget that the clone is in this movie because he doesn't play a very pivotal role to me. Exactly. Um, also, uh, I I mean I shouldn't. I mean I know that makes no sense because he does again kill the professor, but uh, he he's not the bad guy to me in this film. I mean the bad guy is when you finally see Doctor Rice get killed. Like that's that's the satisfying thing. Not when the clone gets killed. Um, similarly, when uh, when what is it like Bionic Crazy Man? Uh, Pierce, uh, yes. You know when Pierce finally kicks the dust, like that's satisfying. The clone's kind of just there. So, uh, but yeah, I it's it's a I agree with with both of you in the sense that is it kind of cheesy that we're just displaying his existential crisis on screen in a physical sense a little bit? Um, is it uh, nice to keep the characters down? Absolutely, because I, I can't stress enough that. I love that this film doesn't have many characters. I love that this is Logan battling himself, um, both metaphorically and physically, and there's not a lot of people around him. Uh, and that's one of the appeal. That's one of the appealing things in this movie for me. Because one of the things, and I'll say this as someone who doesn't really love X Men and doesn't fully understand the timeline, I get turned off by X Men because I get confused by it. Uh, I don't know who's who. And I get kind of confused by it. And I know it that's a very surface level analysis, but as someone who has not seen the rest of the films, I love that I can go into Logan and I don't have to know a bunch of characters. It's just him. Yeah. Enough. I think that's, that's entirely fair and probably part of the appeal of this movie. Cause I've even seen all of the X-Men films and I love that Deadpool makes a joke about which, which timeline yes. are we in? Am I really supposed to believe that James McAvoy turns into Patrick Stewart? It's uh, or, or that uh, the Michael Fassbender turns into. Actually, I, I kind of buy that one, except that <laughs> one is German, one is British. Uh, you know, that's Ian McKellen kind of crossed over into Sean Connery territory at some point, <laughs> where uh, I'm going to play a Russian submarine commander, but I'm still going to talk with a Scottish accent. I'm going to be a Spaniard. I'm still oh, oh goodness. On, on Silver Screens and Politics, we recently watched a film called The Wind and the Lion, and he plays a Moroccan man uh, with a <laughs> Scottish <laughs> accent. It is so blatant. It's beautiful. It's awful yeah. and beautiful. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, so I agree. I, 
Well, yeah, because uh, uh, the character of Magneto is German, but I, as far as I remember, Ian McKellen is always just go, going forward with that. But it's Ian McKellen, so he gets a pass. Sure, sure. <laughs> and I should also throw out there, uh, our guest from last week and, and my wonderful girlfriend, Claire, I took her to see this in the theater with me when I saw it for the first time, uh, the noir version, and she adores this movie. She loves, loves, loves this movie. It's the only X-Men film she's ever seen. So, uh, having almost no context to the franchise, she loves it. Uh, and I think that that speaks strongly to the ability to just jump into this film and love it for what it is, even if you've fallen off that train. Because the other thing is that I don't even know how many films there have been or what order they're in, and I think I'm not the only person that feels that way. And this film, not just stylistically, but very starkly, you know, divides itself like this is logan this is we're not calling it wolverine we're not calling it x-men uh this is logan and it has a very definitive end point to it it's also partially a reference to uh the old man logan storyline that was done in the comics um of course they don't call it old man logan and i wish they called the movie old man logan i kind of wish they did too (laughs) uh but he's not quite as old as he is in the in the comics when they do that storyline. Uh, and you talk about the definitive endpoint when she takes the cross that marks his grave and turns it into an X. I mm. was ready for that to be the cheesiest moment of all time, but it works. It yeah. totally works. You're right. It totally works. It is. I had to turn to Claire and be like, "It's because they're X Men," because she didn't really get. <laughs> but aside aside from that. Oh my gosh, it works. And I think that's also a good opportunity to talk about, to talk about her. You know, the actress is Daphne Keene. She's incredible, yeah. right? Like, like David put yes. in our document, she brings the thunder and she brings the thunder in spades. Yes. She, look up the audition video of her. I've seen that, uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it, they're doing that scene where she finally starts talking and she's like rattling off in Spanish. Which is the first time I saw that was one of the most amazing scenes of all time. Um, but she like she asked in the audition if she could improvise and then like starts going toe to toe with Hugh Jackman, who's like, you know, Jack Jackman's like six two and is like talking to this little eleven year old girl and cursing in her face and she's just like staring him <laughs> down like, yeah, I'll cut you. <laughs> Right. And, and, and this is, yes. this is a, the, a, a, essentially a first role for this young girl. I mean, she was in something called The Refugees, which was a BBC television series. Uh, and she wasn't a main role on that for a year, but this is her first film. Yeah. 11 years no, old. No, you can, you can believe that she was this, that she was a kid raised you know, raised to be a fighter, raised to not care about other people. I mean, she does still, but she was raised in this sterile environment. And you can believe that parts of her are almost feral. You know, she is. She walks out of a building (laughs) on Tuesday. Yes. Like it's a Tuesday. And that's kind of a, that was a, a a fun line in the script later where uh, Xavier is trying to get Logan to stop swearing. And Logan says she can gut a man with her feet and you worry about a few naughty words. <laughs> uh, the foot claw. Yeah. When that 
because I I am familiar with her character from the comics. She premiered in this comic NYX a long time ago, um, has really evolved into her own character. And actually, while the Logan of the Marvel 616 universe was dead, she was the Wolverine. Um, but even like since those early days, she had the foot claw. And I was thinking, like, there's no way they're going to do the foot claw in like the mainstream <laughs> film. And then, boom, out it pops. And I might have yeah. like cheered a little bit. Oh, it's theater. so cool! It's and yeah. and her, she's so untethered. You know, uh, Nicole is right. There's a feral quality to her character that she gets angry, and when especially yeah. especially when they're back at you know Logan's border homestead place, uh, and she first you know foot claws it. There is a a feral aggression there that is as terrifying as it is satisfying for her to, to watch her jump through all them like Yoda in episode 2 just like you know flopping from person to person and annihilating them she's just a very satisfying character to me yeah and when she back to Logan dying uh, when she like you know gets down on her knees next to him and starts calling him dad like I teared up in the movie theater quite a bit yeah mm-hmm. and i want to i want to point out actually a really cool thing uh if people uh who saw the wolverine might remember there is a character who tells logan about how he dies says i see you on your back there's blood everywhere and you're holding your own heart in your hand and yeah. in that scene he's on his back with like a, a tree branch through his chest there's blood everywhere and he's holding her hand oh yeah. It's a nice little nod so to that sad. film. Obviously, same director and all that, yeah. but uh, don't make don't don't be what they made you. Uh, yeah. So is Canada just going to be like the better place? <laughs> like, where, 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 it's it's never entirely clear in the film uh, what Canada does that's just so much better than the U S at this point in time, because I love that ambiguity. Yeah. Because, because in the film, you know, for, for listeners who have decided to listen and not watch, um, the essentially Logan is, you know, part of a died of a dead movement of, of, of mutants. You know, there, there was a termination of mutants and, and society turned against them. And, you know these young children who were being experimented on by Dr. Rice and and were being built as new uh, you know a new generation of mutants were being built in Mexico and uh, in secret and very in this like you know these creepy labs and certainly against their will and and they're like we have to go to freedom and I, and this is the one thing I will kind of fault the film for is that it's a little cheesy they're like we just got to get to Canada like <laughs> once we get there yeah. it's going to be cool they can't chase us over the border. They do have a giant mutant, you know, carbon copy of the guy helping us and all these like artillery and tanks and helicopters and aggressive things. But as soon as we cross that border, we're good. Um, that's a little weird. Well, it's not I, unreasonable for them to think that maybe at least some of them could make it because you see, you know, when some of the kids get cornered, they are all equally vicious in different ways. Oh yeah. So, I mean, even just the when they finally catch Pierce and like all the kids are are using their powers on him simultaneously. I think the one that really gets me is just there's this one girl who I guess controls plants and it's just 
the grass <laughs> is just growing over him and inexorably pulling him tighter and tighter to the ground. And it's just, it's creepy. It's super creepy. Oh, it, yeah. I you, totally you, agree. You mentioned Dr. Rice, who is supposed to be like the kind of the big bad of this film. I forget yeah. him every time as soon as the movie's <laughs> over. Oh, shoot. I was going to ask you if, if you knew anything more about him because I'm. It's he says something near the end that I'm not 100% clear on where he's saying that the goal is not to end mutant kind but to control it, distribute gene therapy through everything people eat and drink to Corn. improve everyone. Corn. And, okay. And prevent random mutations. Yep, that's one of the prevailing theories of the film is that they were using the corn that they show that is grown to uh, suppress mutation, and then uh. he would he would control it um, by selecting you know and growing his own mutants for his own nefarious purposes. Uh, but of course, that was all upturned by somebody who made a really compelling documentary with an iPhone. Huh. Wow. Uh, like let's like her that 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 girl yeah she must have a really great editing app oh well, yeah and also like <laughs> did nobody notice her filming all of these very i know right moments <laughs> and she did like voiceover and everything like like she yeah. went back into the into the studio and hashed this thing out before she went on the run yeah it was just very very <laughs> high quality it was quite good uh, shout out to that one lady that dies really early in the film, but is also in Orange is the New Black, um, which is where you might recognize her. Uh, no, she's also in uh, the One Day at a Time uh, redo. Elizabeth Rodriguez. Right. Gabriella. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, oh wait, she's not. Never mind. She's not. No, she is the Orange is the New Black lady. Okay, cool. We're good on that. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, Nicole, you said that your kids said that Logan isn't really a movie you can watch twice in a row. So what do you think they meant by that? And then what, we'll see if whether or not we... I don't agree, because I just did that recently, and I 10 right. out of 10 would well, recommend. I had to watch it over two nights, um, just because of the way my, my schedule worked out. So I finished watching the movie at about uh, a, a bit past 7 tonight and i immediately started it over with the commentary on to try to catch you know um i wanted to see in particular if in the noir version that he had some reasoning for why he wanted to make it in black and white and then and maybe how they did it you know that's what i was interested in going after and they let it run for a few minutes and then m one of my kids said you know can we watch something else after watching this very dark sad movie you know logan isn't really a movie that you that you watch that you watch twice you know and i said i said twice in a row or twice at all and he said well <laughs> twice in a row um and i think it's just you need time to process it oh you, you, you know i didn't even look at this and see twice in a row so you're talking about like let's do for round two yeah, I I kind of I guess I can kind of agree. I needed I needed a couple months. Um, it's kind of like it's like Philadelphia. Do you really just want to like turn on Philadelphia again after you just watched it? Like, oh gosh. <laughs> well, you know, I will say though, this movie can also work as an action film. Yeah, uh, it's got some really great action because. Uh, my defense for that is that when my wife leaves town for like a weekend, you know, on a work trip or visiting friends or whatever, I do a thing where I get a pizza 
uh, fill up the growler with beer and rent a movie and then just let that happen for the night uh, as I demolish the pizza and beer while watching a film. And I watched this and when I, I was still obviously like I was watching it and I was very engaged with it, but when it's, you know, it's possible to enjoy this movie without having to fully like fully like contemplate your mortality. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It can, it can just be enjoyed. Yeah, it is a really badass action movie. I don't, don't think we focused enough on that. You don't have to let yourself get emotionally wrecked. Because, right, because exactly. it is so R-rated and allows Logan to, you know, really get aggressive and bloody and that intense. opening scene where the guys, oh, he's just killing those guys on, like, the the side of the road. Yeah. Oh. The opening five minutes is pretty much just leaning way into the R-rating. Because literally the first word of the movie is the F-word. Yes. <laughs> uh, they <laughs> certainly then, announce it. They I, announce it very early on. Yeah, and Logan puts his claws... When he puts his claws through that guy's face from the oh, bottom, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, Oof. oh, 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 good heavens. My kids are never seeing this. And of course, <laughs> they ended up seeing it. Anyway... And, uh, See, it was a flip that. for me. And, I was watching and I was like, oh, no, my mom is never seeing this. Uh, <laughs> I was watching and I was just like, yeah, everybody should watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think, you know, in listening to the commentary, the interesting thing is, you know, while James Mangold did enjoy having the freedom of the R rating, the main reason he wanted it was so the movie wouldn't be marketed to kids. Yeah. Because he wanted to go with the adult themes, you know, exploring mortality and um, aging and infirmity and yeah, and it's it's so great to hear him talk yeah. about the movie with the R the R rating too, because they basically filmed it in such a way that you couldn't cut a PG thirteen movie out of it. Obviously, they they wanted you know Deadpool happened, so they saw like R rated movies can be very popular and do like R rated superhero movies can do very well in the box office. Yeah, but he wanted to make sure there was no room, like (laughs) Fox couldn't come in with a with a scalpel and cut out a PG thirteen cut of this film. Right. So he went. He just pushed it as hard as he could and got right up against like that NC seventeen rating without crossing that line. Right. And one thing I noted in our pre-show was that if you watch the noir version of this, I'd argue it's a lot more palatable in terms of if you were at all queasy about violence, because uh, I I watched this film in color for the first time today, and I realized how bloody it was, because you Mm -hmm. don't really see a whole lot of that in black and white. And all the way down to, for example, um, when Logan... When Logan, you know, stumbles home for the first time and the he has, he's pulling bullets out of himself because he's not fully, you know, popping them out and regenerating them like he used to. It's starting to infer that he's having trouble self-healing. Uh, when you watch that in black and white, you kind of have to look at it and be like, ooh, is that bullets? Like, I can't tell. Like, like you, you have to focus on what's happening and, and, in, and in color, it's very clear what's happening. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more visually aggressive in, in color, I would argue, and also just because like the like the brightness of some of, of some of the the reds and oranges and stuff is just really mm-hmm. aggressive in and of itself. Uh, again, I would compare that a little bit to Mad Max. Uh, so definitely a different experience in terms of the rating, I think, with the noir version. 
Yeah, I mean, you still it's still a rated R movie. Oh, yeah, it's but... still really bloody. Like, don't get me wrong, the blood is just not colorful, but it's not quite as egregious, at least in my opinion. It's, that's why in the American version of Kill Bill, they uh, make the the scene, I can't remember what the name of the place is, when she has that giant sword fight with a whole bunch of guys. Right. Uh, and it, the, the film cuts into black and white, it is because it is so bloody that <laughs> uh, the only way that they could really approve it, just have an R rating, was if they made it black and white. Well, yeah, I mean, that one she, like, n- lops off a guy's head and it's like she's knocked the top off a hydrant, you know? The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gotta find a way to throw it, it, right now. Shooting. I'm just gonna but, throw it out there right now here on the show. If we ever get around to the Kill Bills, and I hope we do in some capacity, let's mash them together. Let's tackle them as one movie, the way Quentin oh, yeah. intended. Uh, yeah, Absolutely. I'm in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean this this movie is is R because it's for grownups. It's not the. I mean, it's it's in it for the drama for the adult dramatic arc of it you know deadpool leans away into its r rating but it's because it's being it's it's being absolutely gleeful in how gross and gory and vulgar it can be and it's having a grand old time with it whereas this it's it feels like it's r out of necessity because of the story being told I, I would agree. Do. I would agree with that. Totally. Uh, now, did you prefer it in color or in noir, uh, Nicole? Um, I I think I would need to watch it in color again, mm-hmm. just because I haven't seen it in color since March, um, which was six months ago as of the time of this recording. Um, so, and I just watched the noir version, and it really. It it makes it a different experience, you know. Like I said, it's it becomes part film noir and part western. And I gotta tell you, it's really weird watching the noir version because it you can go with it for a while, and then just something about Donald Pierce sitting in his car watching Logan at the funeral, and you he slips his hand. I said, is it at the funeral? And it, Anyway, he slips his hand up onto the steering wheel, and it's the it's his robotic hand, and it's just really weird seeing a robotic hand in a black and white movie <laughs> for some reason. It took it took a while to get used to it, um, just because I associate black and white with old, generally sure. speaking. Sure. Did you ever so. see the black and white cut of Mad Max? I have not. That was I wanted fascinating. to, and I wasn't um, able to yet. Just for, for listeners curious about that, they call it the chrome version, you know, because it is... Uh, the the whites are done with a more of a metallicish white than 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 a than a light white. It's very hard to explain, but, like, they, they painstakingly remastered that as well to make it feel like this is a black-and-white car movie. Um, and, and I I would argue... I kind of like the noir version better and I'm going to I'm going to say that's almost surely because of my nostalgia for seeing this movie for the first time in that format in a wonderful, you know, like community music box theater in Chicago. Like that's the reason I love it like that because that's how I was introduced to it. Uh but I think it's just a different experience. I wonder if this is going to be a recurring trend amongst films that we consider uh, like artsy, but also mainstream. Um, 
because again, I mean, I keep bringing up Mad Max because that's the only film recently to do this. But I mean, like, we're probably we're gonna get a black and white cut of Blade Runner, right? Like Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Get a, get a black and white uh, you know cut of that know. or something like that. I'm just saying, like that seems like a, a a route that people are now taking, at least in extras after the movie's out. Uh, see, I don't know if you can do that with Blade Runner because Blade Runner is pretty reliant on colors. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, I think there's too much of the visual aesthetic in like the neon brightness of the film. Like, like that the noir all the all of the noir actions and dialogue contrasting against I don't think it would be as effective in black and white well just just saying right now when I go to edit this episode which will be probably in like a week and a half two weeks I am either going to be so happy in my life about Blade Runner or so completely dejected because <laughs> I have seen enough critics now dozens call that thing a quote-unquote masterpiece that my hype is high my hype don't is it. high. Don't jinx it. I know. Right, I look, know. Look, uh, <laughs> we have to. Cir- I have to circle around this every time when people come out of initial viewings. They're always like, "It's the best thing ever." Very true. Very true. But you know what? I really hope it is. Uh, <laughs> but moving on to a couple other uh, discussion topics before we start to wrap down the show here a bit. Uh, would would we recast Wolverine moving forward? David, is this something that is being discussed? It hasn't really been talked about at this time, but it's going to happen eventually, either within the existing... Because, I mean, they're continuing, as far as I know, they're continuing on with X-Men films. There's the Dark Phoenix, whatever the crap they're calling it, coming out in a couple years. Uh, so either you know, continuing on with the storyline that is now, or they'll do a reboot at some kind, but they've also done like five mini reboots within this universe storyline. It's just at some point, you know, at some point there's going to be a Wolverine in there. And even like in the Marvel 616 comic book universe, when Logan was dead, there were three other Wolverines or versions of Logan running around he is a highly marketable character. You yeah. can't just let him be dead. Is it is, is it okay to just make Laura Wolverine? Because that's like the logical step, I would think. I mean, that would be awesome, but she's also supposed to be kind of far-flung, quote-unquote far-flung future. Uh, when, like, now they're doing movies that take place in, like, the 80s or 90s. Right. Mm. Whereas this movie is 2029, so... Yeah. Okay. Now, so, so, let, me, let me pose this question really quick, sidetracking a tiny bit. Is Daphne Keene best left as an extraordinary Laura in one Logan film that blew us all away? Or should we pursue, in some capacity, her returning to that role as she gets older? No, I think they should leave it here. Yeah. yeah. I I think for maximum impact over time, I would leave it exactly as it is. Now, they're about to introduce time travel with Deadpool oh, 2 God. God. with the with the introduction of Josh Brolin's cable character. So, you know, I'm just saying it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't follow these movies. I have, I have so much trouble when it comes to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, and no, I- cable is always a, a, a weird time-traveling problem. 
I don't even sure. know. I haven't kept up with the comics for quite some time, so well, I know who Cable <laughs> is, but I don't know all about his backstory and whatnot. I don't honestly care. I, well, well I fun. I think I'm kind of in a place where I, I agree with Nicole. I think it's best left with her character in Logan for maximum effectiveness. But that said, I want to see a lot more of Daphne Keene because she's fantastic. Oh, and I don't care where yeah. where she's in, but I'm happy that this was hopefully a really notable career boost for her to, to you know, be a awesome child actor and hopefully later a awesome adult actor. She is uh, already filming a a film. Uh, I was going to say movie and film in one word. Uh, a film called Anna, where she is playing the titular character. So she's already already on a bright path. That one. Good. 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 Good stuff. So uh, I guess as we begin the wrap down right now at fifty seven minutes. Was I right? <laughs> like, like I have to present this to the panel now. Is this a future classic? Uh, I would agree that it will be. Yes, I think that the superhero bubble we're in uh, will burst at some point, and and we're gonna have to look at the rubble that you know that has fallen and be like, what what are we gonna salvage out of here? <laughs> and Logan will be something that we take with us moving forward. Interesting way to put that. <laughs> I would, I would agree. I'm always a little hesitant to call something a classic. This, you know, it's within six months of the the release That's of this true. movie. Yeah. Um, but it's. I would agree that it's going to be a future classic of the superhero film genre. Um. Now, whether it stands as a classic of film in general, I think is another story. I don't think that that means that superhero films are, you know, are are lesser than other films because they're, you know, they're genre movies. I think it's just that you're taking one section out of the whole. So, you know, it's like it's like a regional versus national thing. Sure. Um, so, you know, this movie could be a a regional champion, and you need to look to see if it's a national contender. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is a, it's really well made. It's really well written. It's fantastically acted by everyone involved. Um, Daphne Keene is amazing, and. You know, it's just this movie has some gut punching sadness to it. You know, I think I kind of lost it when they buried Charles Xavier by the water, and Logan can't can't quite say anything beyond just "there's there's water." You know, there's water here, and yeah, knowing that that would have made Charles happy, um, but not even able to articulate that entirely and you can see him getting teary and then getting angry and then collapsing <laughs> and it's just i was that that gave me the sniffles <laughs> oh it's it that reminds me so much of the scene in uh, i am legend when 
Will Smith, uh, spoilers for an older movie, Will Smith <laughs> has to choke out his dog. And then oh. there's like a, a <sighs> 10 minute switch of the film where You're he just. never like, watching that movie. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it's bad times. Uh, there's just like a 10 minute stretch of the film where he is just like alone and lost everything and is just desolate. And it's this really gut wrenching part of the film. And I think that like, he still has, uh, you know, he still has, has Laura, but yeah. there's just still this sense of like that, that was the last tie to the X-Men and to this, the, the place that, you know, he felt accepted it's his dad, and, pretty much. It's a father figure. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. yeah. And I think one thing I, I really want to stress is that for as awesome as Hugh Jackman is in this in this role, uh, this is his swan song, and it's amazing. And I hope they, yeah. they keep him dead in every way possible uh, to, to make sure it stays that way. I think the same can be said uh, for Patrick Stewart. I think I think Stewart leaves his 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 longstanding role as elegantly as Jackman does. He he was still kind of up in the air about coming back for future films, and then they were at a screening of this movie, and uh, you know they got towards the end of it, and Hugh Jackman like reaches over and just like grabs his hand, and like they you know they kind of look at each other, and they're both like have tears in their eyes, and he realizes you know like this is it this is this is the send-off of charles it's gotta be it's gotta be and 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 i think for me you know i was i managed to see this long enough after it came out where the first time i saw it was in noir where i didn't have it spoiled for me and i didn't know logan died um i didn't know you know the professor died and as cheesy as this sounds, and it sounds really cheesy, I left this movie being like, that's a part of my childhood that just died in front of me. It's like how I felt when, spoiler alert, Han Solo dies. I felt like, like wow, these characters I've watched my whole life just finally just are to dust. And that was super powerful for me. Um, that is one of the things that will stick with me with this film, is that I actually felt so connected to those two characters, especially because they're, like, frankly, the only two X-Men characters of the long-standing series that I actually really like, um, that there was a sense of finality to that that was really poignant to me. Um, I yeah. think we'll see in future years if this if this continues to hold up as well as it does. I, I strongly believe it will. And... Uh, it's it's also worth noting that purely algorithmically, this is the highest rated superhero movie of all time as per Rotten Tomatoes. Um, second highest, I'm sorry, as of a couple months ago, it's, it's now Wonder Woman, but second highest, which is a, which is no small feat. Obviously, that's just a uh, an algorithm, but people seem to love this film. So obviously, I think we'd all recommend this film if you've if you've never seen it, even if you've never delved into the X Men. Uh, if you like Hugh Jackman, if you like a good drama, if you like a gritty action that's going to make you think a little bit, or just get drunk and have pizza and don't think, you can do that too. Uh, <laughs> it's a great film all around. It really is worth watching. Do either of you have any closing thoughts? Um, See no. this movie? Yeah. See the movie, bring tissues... Um, yeah, you should. The first time you see it, you should be in a way that you're really going to engage with it and and take it all in. Yes, agreed. Yeah, put the phone down. You know. Yeah. 
don't, don't turn the lights down a bit and focus on set the mood with Logan because it is yeah. worth it. If your yeah. friends are gonna be like, let's watch this movie, be like, great, everybody is agreeing not to talk for two hours, right? Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a powerful film. I love it. I'm glad that I that I have a. It's a mostly unanimous that in some capacity this will be a classic. Uh, so I'm happy. I feel like our first future classics. Uh, ended up pretty well. I think it'll be interesting once we bring bring things to the table, though, that don't have as unanimous agreement, which will un- undoubtedly happen. Uh, so next week, we are going to be watching The Host. Again, that's a 2006 science fiction thriller film. Uh, I'm excited about this. Is this. Has this been remade as an American film? Because I recognize the name. No, no. thank goodness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it's uh, the, the Korean title translates, I, I believe, simply to Monster. Um, okay. So I I'm not entire I mean once once we get to it I know why they call it the host but monsters really a better title. Um I think it's just a little generic for But it's yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's generic. Um but I mean it's, it's a South Korean film. It's directed by Bong Joon-ho. It stars Song Kang-ho who is like this huge star in Korea. Um so yes, please tune in. Sweet, I'm excited. Just for a little a little teaser to next week, I am excited for any movie that Roger Ebert's review, Roger Ebert the website review starts off saying a horror thriller, a political satire, a dysfunctional family comedy, and a touching melodrama. Uh, bon Joon Ho's The Host is one hell of a monster Jun-ho. movie. Bon Bon Joon Ho. Yes. All right. <laughs> Uh, tune in next week for me to undoubtedly probably get that name wrong again. Uh, yep. All right. Yep. Thanks, everybody. 